Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 95 of the Creative Writing Podcast. If you find yourself here tonight, it's no mistake, my friend. We got some crazy stuff going down. We've got a new segment that we're going to try out, and we've also got some uh, uh, race interviews and a couple other things coming up that we've been promising you for the past couple weeks. All right, hang tight. This is uh, Creative Writing. I can barely tie a shoe, let alone figure out this thing. Kangaroos are just leaping down the street every day. And isn't that funny how people say not to be an asshole, but they're going to go on to be an asshole? You're 41 and started a race career. My skin met the asshole. But these new new ways kit my... I sound like a fat, hairy, bearded slob. I have to stop talking shit. All right, a couple of blurbs. Whatever they do with cocaine. All right, all right. I hope you're ready for this week's shenanigans, folks. Uh, We've got a couple interviews that we talked about last week. Of course, Wiggins was at the track every day this last month. And uh, someone invited me to go to the track tomorrow or Friday too. <laughs> I'm like, I can't. And this is funny. I, I figured for, our, we'll, we'll get to the segment tonight, but I have Speedway playing on TV cause I figured it would distract Wiggins. And we actually saw him, uh, old footage of him on here a second ago. So that's kind of funny. But, uh, what we got f- coming up for you this week is going to be a series of, uh, challenges sort of Wiggins and I are going to have a motor throwdown. And, uh, Basically, what's happening here is um, we've got some motors that we think are pretty crazy, and we decided to challenge each other with the crazy motor challenge. And what it's going to be is a head-to-head best out of five. So this could go five weeks, or it could go three weeks. I guess we'll see, we'll see if Wiggins blows me uh, away right out of the gate or, or what. But what's going to happen is we have three other podcasts that are going to be judging it to keep us fair and so that we don't have to guess whose motor is going to win. We've got the Cleveland Moto Podcast, and they are a full-on, you know, uh, a shop full of mechanics, so they know a lot about motors and a lot of those guys. Are they going to tell us how wrong we are and They're stuff? probably going to tell us how wrong we are, but they they also might tell us tell me how right I am. <laughs> but um, So we got them coming on board, and they're actually, since a lot of those guys are into vintage stuff, they're going to keep us honest with some of these uh, weird and wacky motors that we've been picking since a lot of those guys were around when they were made. Um, then we got the Motorcycles and Misfits podcast, who you all know Emma. She's like a restoration specialist. She's as, uh, She was born before some of these bikes were made, so she'll be able to keep us honest. She's been wrenching on stuff um, and tell us which bikes should have been peed in the air filter and bought for 300 bucks, and which bikes really are crazy motors and uh then we also have wingman's garage who is another a little bit more modern they're like uh right around our age these guys um and and younger um maybe wiggins's age i'm like 107 so i mean nobody's my age really but uh you know chris is in his 30s i think most of the wingman's dudes are like right around their mid 30s and they are also a service shop and racers so they're like probably familiar with a lot of these weird engines and uh even though they don't do points, you know, I think they still know enough about mechanics, me- mechanical engineering and stuff like that to be a good judge of said uh, motors. So what we've got is we're each going to pick a motor. 
um, and we're going to go head to head and then we're going to submit those motors to those uh, said podcasts. They're going to judge them and send them back to us. And at the end of five weeks or the best of five, whoever, whoever wins first, um, we're going to have a moto challenge and the challenge is going to be, uh, has to be motor related and it has to be less than a hundred bucks. Cause in five weeks, come on, man, like the, the holidays are coming up and, and we both have kids and, uh, you know, we got to buy something for our uh, wives. So, uh, we can't make it too crazy expensive. Plus I didn't want Wiggins to like challenge me to go buy one of those Ducati monsters that he's been <laughs> texting me and like go to a track. Day. It's like, come on. So it has to be under a hundred bucks. It now, could be a CBR too. It could be, yeah. <laughs> now, if we time this right and one of us does pull out a, a quick win here in the beginning, then uh, we maybe have this wrapped up just in time for twisted throttles and we could make this like a motor related, like I, you know, maybe. I dare you to wheelie through camp at twisted throttles, uh, you know, in a dress or something stupid like that. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But all I know is that we're here. Uh, we don't have beer, but that's because we want our minds to be clear when we do this crazy moto challenge. So, uh, we're going to do it. We're going to get to it right now. And, uh, I'm going to ask, do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Sure. Are we giving our full list first so we can stay honest later? Uh, or are we I, like, or since it's a head to head each week? I was thinking since it's head to head, I kind of want to keep the the uh, list other, quiet. Yeah. I okay. want to keep the other podcasts like don't over, don't let them get ahead of us and okay. say, oh, well, and think they already know who's going to win. Oh, no, that's great. Yeah. So that'll be, that'll be interesting. And yeah. I, the head to head idea like interests me too because I'm like, as a group, I feel like, I, I don't know, I feel like I got stuff going pretty good, but... Yeah. Yeah, so, I know. You, you sound, it sounds to me like you had a strategy to this thing. And I do. I was just kind of going like, what do I remember that's like crazy? Or what have I, what have I seen that I was, you know, because I... I, you know, we're, we're, we both work in the motorcycle industry and we both see stuff, but I, I see like diagrams of stuff all the time. And sometimes I look at something and go... After all the diagrams I've seen, that still kind of blows my mind. You know what I mean? So yeah. like, but you sound like you've got like a cool, gr- like a bomber group here. So I'm, <laughs> I'm excited to see exactly what's what's on your plate. So yeah, if you want to go, uh, I, I didn't peek, and I'll, I'll let you go first. I was actually debating about writing my list in Welsh so that I could just like read it here in front of you, and you wouldn't be able to <laughs> read it. But well, I, I might do that next week. I uh, so I. My whole like strategy was I wanted motors that were uh, not gimmick or um, I totally lost the word that I was using yesterday, but not like a gimmick bike. Like, for example, I hope you didn't pick this. Well, actually, if you did, the judges will judge. But like a Boss Haas, like to me, like that was a it's obviously a weird motor for a motorcycle. But it's a it's a novelty thing. That was what I was trying to think of. Yeah. It's a novelty thing. Like, let's put a V8 car motor in a motorcycle. Like, yes, it works. Yes, you can ride it. Yes, you can act like your motor's bigger than everyone else's. But yeah, or it, like a Tomahawk, that Dodge Viper one. Yeah. I mean, and like those things, yes, they work, but not really. <laughs> note to self, scratch Boss Haas off the list. <laughs> so uh, my whole thing was like weird motors that were actually meant to, to serve a purpose and really had like thought behind them, not just like, I'm going to make my bike bigger than your bike Yeah, type like 
attitude, you know? Yeah. And we didn't, we didn't specifically lay this out when we were kind of setting the ground rules, but I, I also thought like production, even if it's small production, like I didn't care, but I didn't want it to just be like a one-off that some dude made in his garage. Like yeah. if, if it's a one-off that some dude made and then he's like, dude, this is great. And he started selling them. That's one thing. But if it's just like one that some guy made and it's like Jay Leno owns it now, then it's like, I didn't pick that because I didn't think that was yeah. really fair. Cause then anything could be a crazy motor in right. that case you know and to me like those are maybe less novelty but still like one of the other examples you might have to scratch it off was the turbine bike that leno does on they they made a few of those but note to self scratch y2k (laughs) off of the list so uh my first bike um yeah let's let's get into it here So I'm gonna throw everyone for a loop. I'm hoping, I'm hoping this one sneaks in and Emma, Emma really appreciates it. So, the reason I picked this bike before I tell everyone what it was, when you hear what I say, you're gonna be like, "Well, that's not a weird motor." But the reason I picked it is when it came out, it was a very weird motor. Like it was totally new. It had kind of been done before, but it was really a totally new motor in a motorcycle. Um, and now like you're going to, everything has it. So, and I like where this is going already. <laughs> so it's like, that's why I picked it. I actually had a different one on the list and I talked to my dad. I pulled in some like help. I got a guy at work that used Shit. to work for Honda <laughs> and uh, he agreed with my number one bike pick. And then I called my dad yesterday and I'm like, do you have any ideas? And, um, so he's the one that kind of brought this up and like listening to him talk about it. I was like, you know, that's kind of a good idea. So you know, we, this contest came up, you know, we were talking about the new Ducati having a V4 and a V4 is not weird. Like RC thirties, VFRs, RC 45, like a lot of the GP bikes, even the Desmo Sedici, like those are V4s, but for Ducati and a production non GP replica bike to do a V4, that's super weird. Mm -hmm. So that was another way that this idea came about. So my motor is, uh, the first production year was 1969. It's a single overhead cam CB 750. Wow. Okay. Um, and yeah, you know it, what you're, I, and I like where this went because you're right. I mean, now that's like everything common. Yeah. yeah. But back then. Okay. Yeah. Um, it was, I mean, honestly, like some Indians and some other like early twenties, thirties, teens, whatever bikes, like they had some inline fours. But it never really caught on, you know, with wars happening and and Indian even got more into the V-twin stuff. And they were usually in line with a bike. They weren't transverse. Um, So this was like, I don't know if it was the first transverse one or not, but it was uh, what I was reading in the article. It was the first modern inline four cylinder. Um, And it had been probably 30 or 40 years since a bike had came with an inline four in 19... 68 technically is when it debuted in Tokyo at the motorcycle show or car show. I don't know if it's all one or just bikes. Yeah. Uh, the, the Tokyo motor show is, yeah, is it uh, just motor show? I, I only see the bikes in there, but that's just cause that's what I'm looking for. I don't know if, if it, if it used to be also cars back then yeah. or not. And it was actually hard. Like in this, you know, obviously with the CB 750, like it's hard to be like, like the bike I think was so revolutionary in general, but like taking a step back, I felt like the motor was like, it was very, like a lot of the stuff I read, it was obviously very smooth. It was pretty easy to maintain. Like, and those are just th- some things that like helped make it successful. Um, it was named one of discovery channels, greatest motorbikes ever. The CB 750 in general, not necessarily the motor. 
Um, started in like 1967 with an American Honda service manager, Bob Hansen. He flew over to Japan and then it, um, Honda wanted to build like the king of motorcycles. So it appeared in the Tokyo show. They don't say motor car or bike or whatever in 1968. Um, what was the other cool quote I heard? Cycle world called it the most sophisticated production bike ever. And then uh, the CB750 was the first modern four-cylinder machine from a mainstream manufacturer. Um, and that's the, where the term superbike was coined. So that was kind of my thing, too. Like, Not that all of my picks are mainstream manufacturer, but that really helped lean into this one being a mainstream manufacturer. And I feel like, especially sport bikes today, are so cookie-cutter four-cylinder that the inline-four literally bores me. Like, I... I'm just like so sick of seeing inline fours, but I was like in 1969, like this was revolutionary. So that is my pick for today is a 1969 single overhead cam CB 750. And it turned into a dual overhead cam. They had an automatic. It was real similar to the 900 kind of led to the CBX six cylinder, like all based off that, like very basic or loosely based, I should say off of that inline four. Right. And we talked about the gold wing, uh, a couple few episodes ago and what a like a f- crazy iconic vehicle that is and that that came after the the cb so i mean yeah. that was maybe may loosely based off of a, a four hey let's do a production four that's interesting i like that and i kind of like that it's kind of like where um pony cars came from you know old sedans and saloon cars and coupes now you're getting like hot rods out of you know like yeah. muscle cars came out of what was like a family car. So that's pretty cool. Um, all right, man. Well, Hey, uh, dramatic pause for music. All right. My car is going to be, or my car, my, uh, my motor is the aerial square four. And, uh, I have to scratch off next week's pick. Did you, did you do that? Is that, your uh, that was one of that I had tied with something else. So I, I know out of those, which one I'm, yeah. Not picking now. Hey, on the yeah, I was gonna say on the fly. That's what I was gonna say too. If you pick one that I have on my list, but you pick it first, I'm gonna scratch it and go to my plus one. See, we have five motors plus one in case something like this happens. So uh, that's what I was gonna do. Uh, you know, just in case. So <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> okay, you really did have it on there. So the Aerial Square Four um, in 1928. This guy named Edward Turner was uh, fooling around with some designs. And there were a lot of bikes at the time that were inline fours. And, you know, kind of like uh, Chris was saying, there wasn't, I mean, there was a lot of twins. There was a lot of singles. There was a lot of that stuff going on in the 20s. And the fours were huge. You know what I mean? The fours were just these big, like, tractor. A lot almost of them were like, like two liters or yeah, something. Yeah, like they, they, were they were huge. And uh, so, and they vibrated like crazy. Some of them were total loss. Mo- the valves were exposed. Like, there was, a, it, they were... A lot of weird stuff came along. So the square four, uh, this Edward Turner guy, he he tried to sell. He came up with this design, and I'll tell you about the actual design of the bike in a minute. But he tried to sell it to a bunch of OEMs. The most notable one was BSA, and they passed on it. A lot of people passed on it, and I forget the gentleman's name, uh, but it was Val something over at uh, at Ariel said, hey, I kind of dig this design, uh, bring it and we'll check it out. So they signed him on and 18 months later, they they paired him up with another uh, a draftsman there. 18 months later, the square four um, 
was distributed internally and they actually made it from, uh, started making it in 1931. Uh, the first variant was a, um, a 500 CC, uh, overhead cam. And the, the, the reason they call it a square four is because the, it's almost like two parallel twins back to back. And so instead of an inline four or a V four, you have four cylinders moving up and down in this block. Now, how does that work? You say, because how are they all? I was actually getting ready to ask. Yeah. Like how the hell does that work? But I want to know. Well, the thing is, is that it had two crankshafts. That was my question. Yeah. And so, because other, otherwise it would have been a V if you drove four, Mm -hmm. four cylinders off of one crank. And so it had two crankshafts. Now, how the hell do you get two crankshafts? You know what the, the first ones, um, the crankshafts, it was really, really weird design. To make it slim, they put the uh, the crank pins on the outside of the flywheels rather than inside like a, a normal crank. They were on the outside. And so the, the flywheels and a gear ran in the middle, and the cranks actually ran counter to each other. So the, the back crank spun forward and the front crank spun backward or vice versa. And the way that they had this... Uh, the way that they, I, just, <laughs> I want to take a photo so that <laughs> looks like I'm milking a so cow we'll, over here. You know, we can put this photo on our Instagram so everyone, when they're hearing the episode, <laughs> they'll understand. They'll be able to see the hand gestures right. that are going with. It almost looks like I'm uh, casting a spell and then milking a cow. It's rad. So uh, they were 180 out. So when the front uh, left piston was up, the rear right piston was up. And when those two went down, the uh, right front and left rear came up. So they were, it was like a, a cross pattern. Um, the crazy thing about these, and I mean, this is already crazy. The The camshaft was then driven, uh, it was an overhead cam, so you had this crazy like... Um, like chain drive on the side that was that went off of that uh, gear up there to the top and drove the cams and these were the first cams that were internal like in a in a um like a rocker cover you know what i mean like a cam cover or a rocker cover that you see like every car and bike has it nowadays but back then valves were on the outside and you look at some of those old harley motors and some of the old crocker motors and stuff that was being made in the 20s and all the valves hell harley had side valves at the time um and a lot of other guys had exposed like top valves and the valves were you know out there you could see them moving it was crazy and these ones are enclosed so this was like the first motor i think that ever had enclosed valves um overhead cam uh, and it was, and these two cranks that went counter to each other. Now it was like a Harley or a triumph of the time where it's a, you know, the motor is a separate unit from the trans. So on the other side, they had a, um, uh, I'm not sure if every single year used this, but they had a dry three plate clutch. So you have like a pressure plate, a friction plate and a clutch plate. And, uh, and it was dry. You could, you could, it could be exposed or not. Um, and the, carburetor and the exhausts all were coming out the front so you have the carburetor in the front there uh right in the middle of the two uh pistons and then on the sides the exhausts came out and the carburetion tract was like an x in the middle to because the the way they had to fire the two front you know right and rear left fired at the same time so that the intake had to go that way too so it was like an x pattern channeling inside uh going off of a single carb, just totally bonkers stuff. And to top it off, it was distributor driven, like an old a VW bug or a hot rod or anything like that. They used to have the old distributors sticking in there 
driving off one of the uh, off a off a separate distributor shaft, um, and that's how they controlled the timing. And then the oil um, on this thing was driven by a little gear drive down in the bottom. Uh, it didn't have like an you know external sump or anything like that. It was just gear driven in the bottom. And they did, and that was just the first year. And then so the second year. Uh, already that went from 31 and 32 the next year after they, they sold like 900, something of those, the public was like, dude, these things need to be more powerful so we can hook sidecars to them and take them across. Cause touring was really big at that time. And so they're like, well, people use their bike as their only mode yeah, of transportation. Exactly. Exactly. And this is like pre world war two post world war one. And yeah, people had like, you know, you sunk all your money into one thing and it was either a car or a motorcycle and, uh, the roads were crappy motorbikes. A lot of times were the better transport. So people were using sidecars a lot. And, um, and so, yeah, they, they made the next year. It was the same thing pretty much, but it was 600 cc's. And that went on from 1932 to 1940. And then the, it disappeared. That 600 cc disappeared in like 38, I want to say, or 37, because in 36 and 37, they developed basically the same thing, but it was 1,000 cc's. Uh, and the, the, yeah, the thousand CC one basically was just like the one before it, except for the fact that it was, had bigger, uh, pistons and obviously jugs and everything like that. So they brought the 600 overhead valve, uh, back. And so one of them is an overhead cam. The other one's overhead valves. And, uh, and that's what, that's basically what changed when they made it a thousand, they quit doing the cam drive on the side and all that stuff, but it still had the distributor. It still had the exhaust and the carb coming out the front and it, they just punched it up. And then that 600 CC, they just, uh, dropped, they like, you know, dropped the uh, displacement down. And, uh, so what happened after that was in 1949, they had the Mark One 1000, which was basically the same motor, but they started making it um, out of alloy because it was like after the war. Was that right? Is that right? 49. Yeah, 49 was right after the war. So they, they, they didn't need all this metals for like tanks and guns and all that stuff where you hear production of some bikes stopped almost completely like Harley and Indian, like quit making bikes and like a lot of stuff went to the military factories these guys were sort of the same now they've got alloys so what they did is they started making the the heads and the blocks out of alloy and what that did is it it wasn't meant to lighten it but it lightened it by 33 pounds the old block was cast iron so the new one is uh, alloy and it made the cooling more efficient so not only did, did they get a lighter bike but they got a you know it was a little bit cooler um and larger flywheels uh, which increased rotating mass um, so that they could get the s- start from a stop easier, especially when they had a sidecar hooked up to it. Um, and then it also the Mark II came in 1953, and that's when the twin pipes were replaced by four pipes. Now imagine all four pipes coming out the front through these crazy channels, you know what I mean? And you still got the carb up the front, um, you know, and, you, and and now you got four exhaust pipes coming out the front. So these things look bonkers to me. And the fact that they had four pistons <laughs> in a block, you know, in a, in a square block is just like crazy. And then I, I started wondering too, when I first saw it, how the hell does that work? Yeah. And then I saw two crankshafts and that blew my mind. How do the, does the front crank turn forward and the rear one turn back? Are they like a gear uh, driver? Is it a chain? Yeah. On the, on the early 600s, on the 4G, they were... Um, 
yeah, on the on the four F. I'm sorry, the four F, the 500 cc's they were, and the 600 cc's until they became overhead valve, and then they changed it to when it, when it went to overhead valve instead of overhead cam. They drove the cam from below, and it had push rods. The oil pump dig this instead of being a, a gear, you know, like the gears that basically shoot it up to the things. There was like two plungers. <laughs> You're going to get some more pictures. There was uh, uh, off the front crank, there was like this mechanism that had like two plungers. And when it rotated around, it just like stuffed oil through the tubes that way. Like it sucked it in and it'd go in these little holes and it'd inject it. So it, it was a like a little diaphragm valve. Yeah. It was like plunger style rather than That's gear. The fuel pump on my Plymouth is. Right. Okay. There you go. Yeah. yeah. And so it was, I, it must've been something common, like after the twenties, you know, they're like, mm-hmm. Hey, look, now we're doing stuff like this in the forties. So yeah, it did, it did change slightly from overhead cam to overhead valve. And when they did that, they quit, gear, they quit gearing them together to spin the same way. And they started having these, they still spun, counter to each other but now they had like a gear system in there hmm. because then it made it easier to drive the distributor there was also it made it easier because now you have a chain going back to the distributor and you could adjust it so it had an adjustable cam chain and the cam drive made it a little bit easier to do it that way rather than having a chain to the distributor then a chain up to the overhead cam like it, when you have the overhead valves all you need is the push rods to go up so See, i had no idea that those bikes were that old but yeah. all the photos I've seen couldn't, couldn't have been 30s. They all look like aluminum blocks. Yeah. Or aluminum cases, I should say. But yeah, that's cool that it's that old of a design. Yeah. It, dude, when I read that he did it in 28, I was like, holy crap. And yeah. from 31 to 58, I mean, that's pretty, that's a long time. And uh, in 58, I forget why it finally quit, but I think that that guy, Turner, the guy that started it, I think he ended up taking over Ariel and he had made so, he was just like such this brilliant guy. It's almost like letting Einstein take over your car company or something. Yeah. And he's like, dude, look at all this new stuff that worked. So I think he just started making stuff more efficient. And the whole thing with those V, the, um, those, um, square fours was because he made them skinnier because he made the, he put the crank pins on the outside at first and then kept the cylinders all close together. He didn't offset them or anything like that. And so, and the fact that they went up on opposite sides reduced like almost all vibration and the, and the counter rotation of the shafts, like everything that he designed in there reduced vibration. And so those old ones, like you were saying, that were like these two liter tractors that are just like trying to shake you off as you're riding down the road uh well and those ones i think were hard too because they were all in line and they had uh they were shaft drives but they were yeah. like open bevel gears <laughs> yeah with dirt and grease you're trying to ride <laughs> around these like bumpy yeah. like, cobblestone roads yeah with uh the aerial square four are those british yeah is it any connection to the Ariel car company? The guy that started the the new Ariel, like the Ariel Adam, he bought that um, the name? A- after yeah after they went out, he bought it and um, started Ariel like sort of the same thing, like inspired by this guy's like ingenuity, and just like thinking outside the box. Yeah, and, like, yeah. And so when he made the Adam, he's like, I want to make this thing. So yeah, he basically cool bought the rights and then kind of tried to make a car the same way. So yeah. Well, they're definitely. Um not head-to-head competitors, but that'll be interesting to see whatever. Yeah. Picks. Well, that's round one, everybody. I hope you like. <laughs> and that was like, that was one of my questions. I'm like, well, do we try to like line them up to get like the head-to-head like competitors better? But it might be more interesting this way. Yeah. So. I think what's going to happen is that like one of these times I'm going to be a uh, spud web and you're going to be E Honda. 
And then we might be, you know, that's an old Street Fighter reference for all you <laughs> arcade nerds. And then other times, like, we might be a little bit more, like, yeah, meshed. And that's why I also didn't want to be... Uh, we didn't really explain this, but I explained it to the judges. I said, we, I didn't want to say like a V4. And I, I told Chris later because Honda has V4s, the, you know, the VFRs, like the VFR 1200 that they have right now, the old VFR interceptor, but they also have the CTX and the ST 1300s that were this, you know, they were opposed V4s rather than like, uh, Traditional, yeah, traditional V4s, yeah, tr- transverse versus like yeah. inline or whatever. So I, I felt like those are different enough designs that they could actually compete with each other. So if and you I say agreed, yeah, those would yeah. be like two totally separate yeah. deals. So we could go ahead and and then that would be crazy to find out which one's actually more crazy. You know what I mean? So yeah, we'll probably have a few matchups like that. But we're not letting you guys know. You got to tune in next week and and see what the other shows say. Well, I know what motor I'm not picking for next week. <laughs> Is that the aerial square? <laughs> all right. All right. Well, I got to get my plus one lined up because I was supposed to look it up today and I, uh, I forget what the name of it was called. If that gives you any indication of how crazy I think it is. So, um, and if it's not production, I'm not going to go with it. That's, oh, that's, all right. that's I, for sure. Like the whole, um, like not picking the boss Haas and the Y2K was like kind of my, like, uh, my strategy, if you will, like that was what I was thinking. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go at it from this point of view. I'm going to say in the square four, that's why the square four like fit, like with no vibration and stuff like that. Like the guy was like, this is a motorcycle motor. This is going to work. And he built it for a long time. It wasn't like, I feel like the boss Haas. I always go back to that. Like, I feel like whoever did that first, it was like the chopper guys like, Oh, you have a six foot front end. I'm going to put an eight foot front end. <laughs> yeah. So that guy was like, Oh, you have a Goldwing motor in your chopper. I'm going to put a Chevy motor in my chopper. Yeah. So it was just like that mentality. And I was like, you know, yeah. I wanted to do something that was like motorcycle based, but yeah, there's actually, I, I was thinking about it too. Cause I mentioned it. Uh, uh, I mean, long ago before I think before you started co-hosting with me, I was going to, I, I found this story of this company in Brazil, you know, Brazil famously made Volkswagen Beetles forever. Yeah. What happened in the eighties was they had like this, I forget everything went to ethanol. So they had a bunch of gas, um, for, for their emissions and stuff like that. They started, uh, farming sugarcane to make ethanol out of instead of, uh, petroleum gas. And, uh, so all these gas engines became obsolete. So they started making motorcycles, production motorcycles out of old VW motors. And I was like, I'm not going to use that for this because a, it was production motors, but it's like sticking a car motor in a motorcycle yeah. and calling it. So yeah, the same sort of, that That's was an interesting reason why though. Isn't it? The, the reason was interesting, but the motor, I mean, yeah. there's like, besides the VW Beetle, I think like the Honda Civic is like only the most sold car in the world besides yeah. the beetle and uh so i mean those motors there's nothing those motors are so common there's nothing crazy yeah. about them put them in a bike yeah so i feel the same way the tomahawk the stupid helicopter motors like you could put it in a bike but it's not a crazy motor because it, it you know it, it might be because it's in a bike but it wasn't made for that bike yeah but i agree with your uh the cb motors too because dude right after that you know you had like the KZ 1000, right? Like everything oh, started to try to everything. compete with that. Especially yeah. the Japanese. I mean, obviously Harley stayed with the twins, but especially the Japanese, like they all went to four cylinders. Yeah. But the CB, that's why I was like calling it weird. If, if someone would have said in 1966, 
like an inline four motorcycle, you'd be like, no, that's crazy. Yeah, no, that's everything's weird. a twin right now. What yeah. are you talking about? Like so, Z twin or a parallel twin? Yeah. Nothing's a, yeah. I mean, there were, there was a lot of crazy like old GP bike, old Hondas that were definitely thought processes and were definitely like, like narrowing it down to five was hard because of like bikes yeah. like that. Like, yeah. Honda had some crazy GP bikes and it's like, I know why they did what they did. It's super cool. Like he believed or to my knowledge anyway, Emma's probably going to correct me. I'm probably wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like he, like Honda was big into four strokes. Like that's why there was never, I don't think there was any two stroke production Hondas at all. Maybe scooters, but, but like yeah. Yamaha had like the way RVs. back in the fifties, maybe yeah. like when they first came out, maybe and Cowie had like the H twos. They had the triple seven fifty and a 500, Suzuki had a water buffalo and Honda had nothing. Yeah. But that's because he believed in four strokes and he would turn little baby four strokes like 20,000 RPMs on yeah. race bikes. So, oh, yeah. I mean, that CBX, there, isn't there like a CBX 125 that like a, revs up to like 20,000 or something like there that? There was a 125 five cylinder that I, I think what the story was with that, they had a single cylinder 50 that did really well. The so, Cub, right? Was that it? The Cub? I like a GP, like race yeah, bike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it was based on a Cub yeah. or not. And they uh, they needed a 125, so they basically made an inline four and then tacked a fifth cylinder on the back. Instead of doing like a three and a two, I guess it was a four and a one. It was weird. <laughs> but yeah, it was like a 125, and it was five little baby 50 cc's, and it turned like 20,000 RPM yeah. or more. I, I think I've seen that like on some history channel thing where they showed the history of Honda and that they only, they started up, they has to keep running, but only like one guy is allowed to work on it. And like, he's the one that's solely responsible for maintaining it. And he goes out there and he starts it and nobody's allowed to touch it or ride it, but him. And he just like warms it up and then just winds it out, dude. And well, there yeah. was one, um, a guy in, I think, Belgium, I read an article on this. It's been like 15 years ago. I wish I had the, like, out of all the magazines I wish I had, like, I wish I had this article. I think it was a Cycle World or something, but there's a guy in Belgium, and he was known for rebuilding, like, Benelli race bikes or Bomotas or something, or there's just a lot of old, like, European race bikes, and he was so good at recreating, like, original old bikes or restoring old bikes or something. Like, he somehow got blueprints from honda and he rebuilt the rc166 it was an inline six cylinder and it was like so intricate and like tried to save weight so much that if you guys are familiar scratch with scratch rc66 off your list <laughs> if you guys are familiar well you started bringing up the gp bikes i was like well okay so if you're familiar with a four stroke or the usually or i shouldn't say a four stroke but a multiple cylinder bike like the CRF 450s and 250s don't do it, but a lot of bikes have a crank or a, the rod bolts together over the crank, right? And it's a one piece crank. A lot of two strokes or a lot of single cylinders or Harley does it with uh, <laughs> I don't remember what they call their connecting rod. It's like a male and a female, like one's yeah. inside the other one. But yeah. what they did for an inline six cylinder was they pressed together the crank, yeah, like a single cylinder. Yeah, so the connecting rod is one piece and the crank actually squeezes yeah. together, and then it can actually it. use ball bearings yeah. instead of like. They call them bearings, but they're more of a bushing. Mm. And it was a, a 250cc. Mike Halewood was famous for riding it, and it was uh, like a 19,500 RPM, and at 20, it would come apart. God. It's like super famous. It's probably the one you've seen because they've rebuilt one or a couple. Yeah. And it's uh, 125, right? Is that what you're talking about? The one I'm thinking was a 250. Oh, okay. It was an inline six 250. But they oh, showed, right. like, in the magazine article, they showed the connecting rod and piston next to a credit card 
to give you size <laughs> reference. <laughs> but yeah. this is the bike. If you guys keep up on Guy Martin very much, um, this last year he rode for Factory Honda, and uh, I don't think he was happy. Nope. <laughs> and him I think or, he, or John McGinnis were happy yeah, because they right? both ate shit on those. Well, I don't know. I come from a long line of uh, Honda fans, and uh, it's a bummer to see where they're hey, at. Hey, man, really. follow the leader. He's on a Honda. <laughs> follow him to the hospital these days, though. Yeah, they're not really leading much anymore. Yeah. But you know, It's just that particular bike, and you know... Um, front end chatter right after that happened, uh, front end chatter, they've had the same problems yeah, with the with bike, the, the production street bike that they had at the track. And, uh, it's something that Honda, I think they've, they've pulled them from production, right? I don't know. It's just the new 2017 yeah. Fireblade or CBR. Yeah. 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 Well, and I know they have them because, uh, they're on their website, but I, I don't know if they've fix the problem. fix the problem or not but multiple multiple people talking about basically the gearbox on those things like you know not that's weird like that's normally not a honda issue i know yamaha it's definitely always an issue yeah but when uh when guy martin signed his contract there was an interview and people were asking like why he signed the contract and he said he gets to ride the six in his like you know guy martin oh the six. You could, gonna, you could understand what he said? Yeah, I, a little bit. But that's the bike he's talking about. They were going to let him ride right. that bike around a racetrack. And like any motorcycle fan, especially yeah. a racer, especially yeah. of that caliber would, he was unbelievably excited about it. Right. You know, he's like, I'll go and crash this new bike just so I can go <laughs> get on that yeah. six. Like, I don't care what I, how, where I place on this thing. He's never got a first anyway. It's just like... When it, to me, it's like... It's an awesome testament to what kind of a motorcycle rider Guy Martin is. Yeah. Honda's like, hey, we'll write you this huge check. And he's like, yeah. Yeah. How about we let you ride this priceless one-of-a-kind race bike from the 60s? And he's like, what? Yeah. He is. Dude. (laughs) Where do I sign? I know. I love that guy. He actually wasn't going to come back to racing. He's famously said... He watches the Formula E. You ever watch Formula E? The cars? Yeah. Yeah. He's into that because he's like, dude, I want to see like where the future of all this stuff goes. Like yeah. I I obviously I kind of agree with them. As as motorcycling goes, look at this shit we're talking about from the twenties all the way to now. It hasn't drastically, drastically changed. Things have got better. Like fuel injection came along, disc brakes have come. We've made things better, but really you're still sitting on uh on two wheels over a combustion engine and yeah like until like until things get crazy like i don't here's the other thing though i don't consider hover bikes and all that shit motorcycles because they're really just helicopters that you sit on or hover <laughs> like that's yeah that's where i kind of start to draw the line is like i do want things to change but i still want it to be a motorcycle i don't want it yeah. to be a a hover craft that you're calling a, a hover bike or some shit like that or a three-wheeled vehicle that you're calling a motorcycle hashtag uh can-am and uh mostly the slingshot that has yeah. a, that has a steering wheel for pete's sake but yeah no i mean does it have doors or do you step over the doors? you step over the doors but and you have to wear a helmet to ride it, but you have a, you it's have definitely a three wheel car. You have, yeah, it's a T-Rex. It's a T-Rex. It's an yeah. affordable T-Rex. Yeah. Which the spider is like, to me, the spider is a, the spider for me is like more of a, um, it's just a trike. Trike. Yeah. But I feel like it's an old person bike and it's, yeah, the people that buy it usually aren't, but I think <laughs> yeah. the people that buy it are like not motorcycle riders either yeah and they're like oh i can ride that i've seen a couple dudes that were like injured military vets riding them and i was like that makes perfect sense yeah, like there you cool. go you can't obviously stick your leg down to 
you know, at a stop sign or even yeah. I seen a dude with one arm riding one and I was like, yeah. that makes sense. So that, that and they don't have a front brake. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it does totally it, a link brake. Yeah. And so you're good to go if you can manipulate one. So I think it makes sense. And to me, those are still more of a motorcycle, even though they, yeah. they, uh, are a tri motorcycle, I guess. But yeah. However, if anyone has a slingshot and wants to let me drive it, I still want to do that. Dude, I bet you passed like seven on the way over here. I, they, do, do you see them all around? I uh-huh. see them all the time. Like I was like going to Sturgis and they're everywhere. Oh my God. And I'm like, that's not, you don't know. <laughs> Sturgis, what the hell? I mean, would it be cool to like rip through Angela's Crest or go around a track? I don't know how they do on a track. And at the same time, I'm like, how much was that? How much is a Miata? Yeah, yeah exactly. But whatever. Um, should we go to the next segment? I yeah. don't even know what that is. But well, the, hey, it's your uh, interview from the night of the races, man. Chris just spent a night out of AFT finals uh, kicking some ass. He got well, third in his heat. I mean, we'll hear about it in a second. So unless you want to paraphrase it right here. No, again. I was going to even better. So speaking of the AFT finals, I brought you a present. Uh-oh. So I got this off Carver's thing. It's a, oh, it's a keychain that says Carver 23. Rad. I got two of them. So rad. it's not like I gave you my only one, but that's rad. Yeah. Fucking so. shit. That, he was so cool, by the way. I mean, we don't, I don't know if we talk about him in your interview, but he was, dude, that guy was legit. He was such a cool dude. And I don't want to call him the man in the van with the plan. Cause Hayden Gillum has that like whole segment in cycle world that they call the man in the plan with the van. Cause he did the same sort of thing, but Hayden Gillum doing it in the, in the singles is like, carver doing it in the twins dude like that was so rad to go and just see him kicking it there like behind his van under the pop-up like as a semi is like raised like dude there was like (laughs) factory semi lifting two bikes with tire warmers and covers like some old tech guy like they had to get the bikes out of the way so the line to get carver's autograph had a place to go (laughs) yeah no i have to say one like and i kind of said this in the interview like I'm super stoked because I feel like Carver has made a ton of fans this year. Yeah. And I I really hope, and I believe that a lot of those fans aren't going to go anywhere because when you like, as a spectator or a fan, when you latch onto an underdog, when that underdog gets a factory ride or a, or a better ride, you're not going to hate him because they got a ride in racing. Now you're going to support him. And now you're going to be like, Oh, now he's also got a ride. Like it's, but so I think that that's definitely good for him. And when I met him, um, I met him a little bit in Delmar in the one show. Um, and then I just like, he was an FTW writer and I talked to him at, um, Arizona a lot. He was there the night before at the Brian Bell event, uh, the Buckeye race. And, uh, he rode my hooligan bike there and helped me out a little bit. And we just chatted and at, uh, Arizona, we hung out a little bit. And, um, so I got to know him a little bit there and he rode real well, but and I didn't go back for the little autograph session and see anything, but he was kind of pitted like off the back corner. And I, don't, I felt like no one really paid attention. And then at Paris and everyone was like down in a row, but he was still off to the corner of the row. Um, but at Paris, man, he had a line of people wanting autographs and T-shirts and like spending money, you know, buying his his swag and uh being a Carver fan. So that was really cool. You know, for him, I think he's seeing a fan base grow in a short amount of time because he's doing what racers love, you know, like he's going out and winning races as the underdog. Yeah, no, it's cool, man. It's cool to see him doing his thing and, and succeed. And like you said, 
freaking like just rip dude as a privateer with with the not much dough to go out there and do his thing you can't i mean next year if he makes it it's because of what he did as yeah so i mean it goes back to what he said in that interview and what you were saying you can rip it on a shitty bike which means that if you can do it on that where do you get a good bike, you know, yeah. and, and see what happens. So I'm, I'm interested to see what happens next year to see if anybody picks him up or to see if he just keeps climbing up the ladder, um, you know, on his own. Cause that's even more, I mean, that's like even more of like a badge of honor. Chris Wiggins, who has just come off a an astounding race at the AFT finals out at Paris Auto Speedway, and I'm just gonna have him walk you through uh, walk you through the day. So today was a super hooligan race in conjunction with the AFT twin or AFT Pro race uh, at Paris Auto Speedway. So I got to the track at about 11 a.m., unloaded, went to tech. Um, hung out for a few hours got a qualifying practice session I think at like 2 or 3 about 3 and then hung out again until 7.30 for our heats had a track prep and had a main but it was super cool like I said it was like at the same time as the pro AFT event so it was on Fans Choice Live Um, I don't know if they're going to play the main our main on NBC Sports or not but Super cool. Paris Auto Speedway is a half mile clay. Uh, the groove was kind of narrow, made passing difficult, but overall it was fun. We were hauling ass, no accidents, um, you know, no crashes. Everyone made it out safe. And we had to be doing. I was in third gear with pretty close to stock gearing, but pretty pinned, pretty wide open in third. So I don't know how fast the sports will go wide open in third gear, but that's. About where we were at so it was just super cool and it was super cool to see the the pros there and uh, it seems like every time we ride with the pros and we have an event with them that they get like more and more accepting of what we're doing uh, I think like having a track day with Carver this week and like kind of hang out with Carver a little bit um, is definitely helping uh, guys like Brad Baker knows some of the hooligans um, the three Harley pros know a few of the hooligans, so I mean they're definitely getting like more and more accepting all the time. But it's super cool to see um, for the little they do like an hour where the fans are allowed to come down in the pits and get autographs and talk to everyone and buy the riders T-shirts and stuff like that. And uh, we had a lot of fans come over to the hooligan stuff and like check it out and be really excited about it. Where I feel like in the past it's not been that way as much. So, that was super cool. Um, Hopefully a lot of you guys got to see it on Fans Choice. If you did, shoot us an email and let us know what you think. You might think we're all idiots. I probably wouldn't disagree with you. (laughs) But no, I mean, hopefully it was entertaining. Um, You know, I know the lead group. I know Jordan Baber got out front and uh, he's good on some half miles. And he got out front and kind of walked away from everyone. Um, Jordan Graham did really good. Andy Debrino was third. Brad Spencer got a fourth. I'm not sure who was fifth and sixth. Um, 
I was I'm trying to remember who beat me. It was a pro road racer that was on a Ducati, and I ended up like eighth. But overall, it was a good night. Like making the main event is always good for the hooligan stuff. Um, just having the opportunity to race and ride the same track as the pros at the same time as the pros <clears throat> is always super cool. So um, it was a good event. I don't know, like. I don't know what else to really say about it. Well, hey, let's talk about your uh, your qualifying event. I mean, well, not your qualifying event, but your uh, the semi. You were in the second semi. Yeah. Um, so we had a little qualifying practice session early on. I think I qualified like 10th. So it put me fifth in the second heat or second semi. But uh, I had a good start and ended up third in the semi. I was able to hold off a couple bikes and... Um, so that was pretty good. It was third third place in that. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Uh, Jordan Baber won that one, and uh, Brad Spencer was second. Yeah. But it was a good event. I don't know. It was fun. <laughs> Rad. I think that's like the shortest thing you've had we've had to say about <laughs> that event. <laughs> but yeah, no. From from uh, just sitting up in the stands with everybody and not knowing. I mean, I'm sure I look like a freak bag because like every time somebody I knew would go around I was like oh and like clapping my hands and wiggling my feet it was hard to stay still and uh but it was just exciting watching you guys do so well and and uh you know just to see you out there on that big ass track basically uh and then have the pros go do their semis and watch the speeds and not be not that far off you know what I'm saying so it was just as exciting for me uh did you get any butterflies or anything uh before the like before the qualifying and all that stuff uh, I don't know about butterflies. I, I kind of, uh, I tried to do my little, like, focus, like, kind of sit on the bike and close my eyes and just kind of, like, breathe and, like, relax. Um, I was doing pretty good about doing that. Sometimes, like, with all the stuff going on, I forget to do that. But I usually ride better when I do it. So that definitely kind of helped. Um, you know, I knew there was a lot of fast guys, so... I really didn't like expect too much as like bad as that sounds like I wasn't expecting to go out and win it with the caliber of guys that were there like I knew I could hang with some of them but there I knew that there was definitely like some fast guys and some favorites to win yeah and it was just I mean it was just exciting have you you rode that track for the uh I forget which race it was but it was uh just a, a few months ago right you guys did an event at that track so you it's not like it was your first time on a half mile I've ridden that track like four or five times now. I did a couple speedway events on it. One of the speedway events before the hooligan stuff was really started at all, we got like a little hooligan event. We were only allowed like eight riders. I think we had like five or six hooligan bikes and then a couple like accidentals that come and fill in. But, and then I rode it, uh, Ivy League had, they've had two races there and I just did the first one. And then uh, I did two commercials there. The I did a Harley Davidson commercial there and I did a icon shoot called death grip that's on their um website so that was pretty cool rad yeah i've seen that i, I did not know that you were in that um yeah no it was it was exciting and it, it's like a legendary track when i used to work at a body shop my boss always used to tell me man if you do if there's one thing in your life that you do you have to go out to paris and watch the spring cars race well boss or a former boss, I guess. I I did not see that, but I did see the flat track bikes race, and I have to say it was really cool 
Southern California Fair is going off right now, so that was like another element that got added to it. And it was just cool to come out and see people that I've seen race at Ivy League events and see the co-host here go out and kick some ass. So uh, yeah, I was pretty proud of you and, and proud of Jeffrey Carver, the, the guest that you so eloquently interviewed last week, uh, get second. And I'm, I'm pretty sure he would have reeled in Jared there if it were if he had either broke out sooner or um, if the you know event had or if the race had been like three or four more laps longer but yeah that was an it was just an exciting night man yeah I gotta say like uh, the more I get to know Carver obviously like the more I root for him uh, he kind of got stuck behind a couple guys and it was I'll give him that like I noticed it in our event too the groove was narrow and it was a tough one to pass on that was evident you could see like when there was a pass if someone slipped out of the groove they didn't go back one or two spots they went back like five or six or ten spots so um there was that uh carver beat bauman so i believe he is fifth in points so it'd be me smith baker which i'm kind of surprised baker's still third missing the last two races but baker um sammy halbert and then jeffrey carver so and Carver missed Charlotte, didn't go. Um, had some bad luck in Daytona. When Baker went down, he's one of the guys that ran into him, so he got a bad heat. Had a mechanical in Arizona. I think that's about all of his bad luck. But so for him to pull a fifth as a true privateer, so, but it was super cool to like root for him. He finally got through, got past a couple guys, and, uh, Man, he just started reeling in Jared Meese, but he got around him with probably five or six laps to go, and he probably needed 10 or 12 laps to catch him. But Jared had a two-and-a-half-second lead, and at the last lap he had about a second lead. Yeah, yeah it was a pretty incredible run. And uh, also, as exciting for me, I probably look like a dick bag over there on the stands, like freaking out because everyone's like, why is this guy like Carver clapping every time Carver comes by? Especially when he was back in like fifth until he made that pass up to second. And then I really started to freak out. And uh, I heard some old guy in the pits as we were uh, kind of like hanging out say he heard uh, Jared said later that he was just hitting his marks because he knew Carver was there and he knew there wasn't enough laps left. But even he in his mind was like looked back and saw and knew that he was you know, had his card and he was, uh, you know, would have cashed it in if it had a few more laps. So that was pretty cool. But yeah, man, uh, this has uh, been an awesome season to watch and an awesome season to uh, like be able to comment on, especially with everybody else kind of just getting into it. I mean, not like I've been into it for decades, but I've been into it for the past few years. And it's just so much cooler having a co-host that races. So I have to I thank you for uh, placing eighth. If you would have placed tenth, I would have to tell you that you're no longer the co-host. So good job. And also, thanks for that interview with Carver last week, man. You, you fucking nailed it. You know, that was super fun. And I, like, I always think of questions when I'm driving. And I'm not smart enough to, like, voice memo on my phone. So I get, I try to write it down and it, I forget when I stop. But it was super cool. It was cool for Carver to sit down and interview with us. Um... I'll say something too about Mies. I think, you know, like they said, like Mies knew he was hitting his marks. Like Mies knew he only had a few laps left and he could, in a way, cause you never know with, with Mies where when he's out front like that, like he is very smart. So for him to have a couple second lead, he's not going to push it. He's going to run good, clean, consistent laps 
keep a little buffer zone for him and not abuse the bike, not abuse the tire, not, you know, not throw it in real deep, not really, you know, slide it out. He's going to just be consistent and smooth there, you know, that way nothing happens. He had a lead. That's all he needed. He really didn't even need a lead. He already had the points championship, but you know, he knew when he did realize Carver was catching him, he thought he could, you know, and it, it worked out. He thought he could hold his line, he could hit his marks, and Carver would run out of laps. You know, I think if Carver would have got around earlier and would have caught him, you never know with Jared, man. He could have stepped it up a little bit. So, you know, but Carver did. He got a $500 check for the fastest lap. That was super cool. So, you know, because I'm sure the first few laps, Jared was really trying to push and get that buffer zone. So you never know. I mean, it would have been super interesting, but... It was interesting anyway to see Carver kind of get out front, break away, and even though it was a little late in the race, I mean, the guy still got second place, and when you see, you know, if you walk through the pits at the AFT Pro Race, and by the way, if you guys ever get a chance to go to one, they have an hour, I kind of hit on this, they have an hour you can go, like, get autographs and buy t-shirts and meet the riders, you know, take your kids, or they'll all get pictures with your kids and stuff, so you walk through all these big sprinter vans and toy haulers and trailers and for Indian and Harley semis and then Carver's in a full-size van (laughs) you know with like a a little block behind the two seats or no he had two seats and then the back seat and then a little wood like partition and then the bike and all that stuff's like stacked in there so you know and but I gotta say like I gotta go over there for the little meet and greet (laughs) and uh and he had a line of fans buying shirts and getting autographs like the guy's the people's champ right now like you know he might be fifth in points but and he may have got second today but he's the people's champ he's the privateer um and i think big things that come from jeffrey carver like you know he's getting set in he's figuring out how to win big races and he's going to be a guy to look for you know and no matter what sponsorship comes next year you know, I think he's got a, a serious program with him and Ben Evans. They work well together, and they're just as happy being broke, if that's a way to say it, and uh, going and winning races as a privateer. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, I think he's going to get a lot of offers, but who makes him offers? Not that we'll be privy to that information, but who makes him offers, how much, and what they all want to do. You know, I'm sure he'll turn down a big offer for a good offer, because the good offer will allow him to run his program the way that he wants to run his program. So, you know, that's definitely something to, to like, watch for. And, and, you know, to me, rooting for the underdog, people are excited about that. So, you know, I guess we'll just we'll keep an eye on the wintertime and see what happens in Daytona next year. Yeah, rad. And and totally true. I, I think there was a lot of people that listened to Creative Writing and were like, man, we got to go check out this Carver guy. <laughs> but hey, and also thanks to Chris for uh, say, offering me to give me a ride home because I don't know when it happened, but, uh, but between the time I stopped to help some dude on the side of the road till uh, I went and looked at my bike in the parking lot, the, uh, the tail or one of the turn signals got sheared off so it was kind of cool that i'm getting a ride home (laughs) all right man well we're out uh it was fun watching was it fun racing it was always fun racing all right and uh we'll we'll, i don't know wrap it up right here kid well sure who knows where this is gonna go in the interview actual interview (laughs) all right
Hey, you want to pick a word of the week? Oh, man. I usually just throw a pen at those or throw a knife at them. And, uh, it's a sparny dog. Oh, dude, you can't read my writing. It's corn dog. Oh. <laughs> A cerny dog. It's a carny dog. It's a hot dog made of old carny parts. <laughs> I'm seeing C E R N I, and I'm like, isn't cer- don't isn't cerny R I? Yeah, isn't cerny? Don't they make like um, a Siriani? They make forks. Oh yeah, Siriani does. <laughs> I just like indubit- indubitably. There's a movie on HBO, and it's like a mockumentary, and the guy that plays Jon Snow, and. I don't remember who else stars in it. Uh, I think Dax Shepard, if I'm not mistaken. Right. And they play these like tennis stars. And the the guy's name is Chris, the Jon Snow guy. And uh, he uses like every time they interview him, he uses indubitably like 15 <laughs> times. Should that be this week's like, word? <laughs> sure. All right. Indubitably. It is. And they're just like, what? Does he even know what it is? <laughs> he's like, they ask him a question. And he's like, oh. Indubitably. I'm going to have to go back and figure out who sent that to us but thank you whoever you are for this week's and word. look up the mockumentary on hbo it's pretty hilarious yeah is it called like oh god something did it have scarlett johansson in it was it just it was Maybe. just a movie right yeah yeah okay yeah they I, made like a big deal when it came out yeah and then i watched it i didn't know, realize it was a mockumentary and then i'm like wait a minute but oh, it was pretty good great. it was pretty funny dax shepherd uh motor- i think that's who was in it he a motorcycle uh enthusiast by the way oh good to know yeah he did all of his own stunts and chips. Hey, you want to know another interesting fact about chips? That's what they call French fries in Australia. You know what else they call in Australia? Dan Michael. Awesome. They also probably call him mate. They probably say like, hey mate, you're awesome, mate. But uh, Dan Michael, go check him out. He's, he is awesome. And he is the driving force behind dailybikers.com. Dailybikers.com, what do they do? Oh, nothing but write awesome uh, little blog posts about what writing life is like in Australia. And oh yeah, by the way, he's a crazy incredible artist. And uh, I've ordered more than my fair share of stuff from Daily Bikers, so now it's your turn. Go there, get yourself an awesome motorcycle coloring book, get yourself a pillowcase, get yourself some birthday cards, uh, get yourself a notebook like I have that I write down the show notes in. And actually, co-host Chris has one on the way too. So go to dailybikers.com or dailybikersstore.com today. Get yourself some Daily Biker Dan swag. Hey, right now, what we're going to do is jump into an interview that Chris did a couple weeks ago with his co-worker. He took him out to the streets of Willow for his very first ever track day, and we're going to hear all about it right now. I'm here with Juan. We are going to Streets of Willow Raceway. Um, it's 5.30 in the morning. The sun's not up yet. We're on the freeway, and we're going up to Willow Springs to ride streets. And... Uh, I'm interviewing Juan, or part of the reason is Juan has never, ever, ever been to the track before. That's correct. <laughs> so it's, uh, I thought it would be interesting to like see how last night went, how last week went, like how he's feeling right now. And then what we'll do too is we'll, we'll talk a little bit afterwards and see like what was different than what he expected or if it was the same as what he expected and how he feels after. Um, maybe he'll be all relaxed because he came, like, now he's got that pent-up energy. 
so that's what we're doing. It's super early. Juan brought his Ducati Street Fighter. Uh, it's real pretty. If all goes well, it'll be pretty at the end of the day too. <laughs> but the leathers might get a little scuff on the knees if he's lucky. So, so I'm gonna ask Juan some random, not random, but some questions that I know the answer to, but listeners don't. And so that way you guys like get an idea. So first, Juan, how old are you? Where are you from? And if you want, like, what do you do for a living? All right. Um, I'm 25. Holy gonna... shit, I thought he was 12. <laughs> I'm gonna turn 26 next week. Oh, so, wow. yeah. Uh, Donuts at work. I live in Norwalk, California. Born and raised there. Been there all my life. Um, and I am a mechanical engineer for Rance and Heinz. So I design uh, new products, exhaust, intakes, foot peg relocators. You name it. We do it. I do it. So I've worked with Juan for about three years, yep. and I've known him a little bit longer. Um, Juan is, well I guess I should ask him, so what kind of motorcycle riding do you usually do? Um, well, I, I, it all started back in high school. I used to just commute to school back and forth, and uh, shortly after that I was in an accident and I kind of tapered off riding. I was always still interested in motorcycles, but it was, I don't know, it was just difficult being in college and trying to get back on one. But I started working at Vance Pines and I met uh, Hunter and Wiggins and a bunch of other people. And uh, they got me into racing flat track. So 95% of my seat time on a motorcycle is on the dirt track. <laughs> I ride very little on the street, but uh, I got a couple street bikes. Different. It looks yeah. way different, um, and, and, and 
there there are some advantages to it. Yeah. The motor is you know pretty built from the factory, um, but there are also some disadvantages. It, it has an aluminum sport bike frame per, per se, and I don't get as much steering angle out of it. So I have to adapt my riding to it. But uh, yeah, I, I like it. I like being different. Yeah. I'll have to get with Larry. We'll have to put a picture on the Facebook or Instagram or something like. But the XB is super rad. It's it definitely sounds mean. It's got a cool little. So I don't know what you guys know about the XBs, but the gas tank wasn't the gas tank. It was the airbox cover, and the fuel is in the frame. So one, um, it has like a cool aluminum cover over the airbox. It's kind of Mad Max, but it's like it's done pretty well. So that it's super rad. It's got a flat track tail on it. It definitely doesn't look exactly like a Buell, but is and it does pretty well so that's like it's like what Juan's known for I feel like is like the mule like everyone's like who and I'm like the guy on the mule and they're like oh yeah so um so what are you gonna be riding today I kind of hinted at it but uh I'll be riding a 2012 uh Ducati street fighter that will be fighting the streets of Willow <laughs> I mean luckily it's five years old so if you totally high sided it's like it's not brand new yeah uh, I spent uh, we, we've talked about doing a track track date for quite some time now, and from the from the moment we first talked about it, I was uh, trying to get over the the mentality of it being my prized possession, <laughs> and I'm kind of like, all right, you know, it, it, it wouldn't be so hurtful if, if it were to take a spill, you know, if I could if I could fix it back up, yeah, uh, it won't be that that bad, you know, and how you want to ride the track I think especially your first time to the track it's kind of nice to have a bike that you're worried about a little bit because you'll ride a little bit reserved and to me at least your first time like it's it's good to be a little bit reserved um and we talked about it last week on the or maybe two weeks ago now on the podcast of how like the track's good you can go ride to your abilities and your bike's abilities well that's a lot we can ride to our abilities <laughs> Even my tenure, even my Dyna is probably way better than I am, but, um, so it's kind of good in a way, like it'll make you think a little bit and kind of be calm and patient, but yeah, I think, you know, when you go to the track, it's definitely cool to have like, like my Ducati, as much as I put some time in it and I, I really like the bike, I have $3,000 in it. So yeah. it's like, if I high side it, I can part it out and get pretty close to that, but so it allows me to ride a little bit freer, but at the same time, like it's good to have a little bit of reserve, and it's but the track will be fun. So you're right. So Juan said we've been talking about doing this for a while. Um, actually, the one we went to two weeks ago, Juan was gonna go, and it, we were both guilty of like waiting, and uh, we waited till a few days before, and I refreshed the website, and it went from five spots available to one. So I took a screenshot of it and I sent it to Juan and said sorry, and then I signed up. <laughs> but um, so this one's two weeks later. I was I hadn't been in a while and I was totally hooked again. So uh, I told Juan and he signed up and we're driving up to Willow. So how have you been feeling? Like excited, anxious, nervous, um, super calm? Uh, a little bit of all, uh, okay. except calm. <laughs> uh, you know. I just finished my bike last night at 11.30. <laughs> um, 
so I was I was a little nervous because I wasn't sure how the the bike was gonna if, if I was gonna get it ready in time I I had to do a couple of maintenance items like I had to get new tires I had to you know uh, get the chain cleaned up and stuff went through the brakes um, I just I wanted to have no doubts of the bike when I was on the track yeah in any I've always been told and I've I feel like when I go to the track I, I prepare my bikes pretty well um, and I usually do have good tires chains rockets and brakes everything else is roached <laughs> but those things are usually on my Ducati my rear shock is either at its limits or it's just got it's just kind of blown uh, but they say like any any issue you have on your bike when you go to the track it's gonna be amplified like tenfold like if your brakes aren't working very well you're really gonna notice it yeah and that, that's kind of what I was trying to avoid um, since I, I don't ride the bike that often yeah um, I wasn't sure if there was gonna be little issues that that I wasn't aware of that were going to unfold at the track. Over the track, yeah. Yeah, so I, I just went through the bike, uh, made sure everything, you know, the brakes, tires, and all that stuff, everything was was ready to rock. And, and that that, that kind of helped ease my mind. Um, it gives me some, some confidence that I know I, I inspected the bike and, you know, I went through it. Um, yeah, good. And, and for you guys out in listener land, like, I feel like... 15 years ago, because I'm an old man, when I like wanted to do a track day, it was super difficult on the list of things you had to do to your bike. Like, Weira did a lot of the track days, at least in the Midwest, and you had to have catch cans and a belly pan, and they checked all your hoses, and you had to have everything safety wired like you were going racing. And to a point, I get it, you know, like, they don't want you have an oil spill on the track and it costs us half an hour 45 minutes and it affects everyone um so that makes sense and you know you get a little oil on your rear tire and you crash so or your front tire so you know i get why they do it but i feel like it was hindering a lot of people from going to the track and the one i did a couple weeks ago and the one i'm doing today at least we hope for today they're um they're pretty lenient in a way on on bike tech like they want you to make sure your drain plugs tight but they don't put a wrench on it um, they I don't know the only thing I've really ever had expected going to the track was they made sure I had a pin tight master link so if you're out there no matter where you're at in the country and you want to try this and you're like oh man I don't want to drill all my bolts out like I get it look up some track days in your area and see what they require because a lot of them they want to make sure your tires are in good shape they want to make sure your brakes feel good and they're solid and they're not squishy or they don't have too much pull or whatever and that's about it like guys are going out there on bikes that look roached and you got to think a lot of race bikes up close they look roached um including our flat track bikes like <laughs> you know we try to make them look pretty for the stands but um so if it's something you're like debating in your head about doing look into it a little bit spend a little time looking um, you know, I bought leathers off Craigslist because we live in the LA, Orange County area, and I bought two-piece. Uh, Cycle Gear has, like right now, Sadichi, which is their higher-level in-house brand. They're like 360 bucks. Yeah. Cycle Gear, you can sponsor my races. <laughs> um, so, Gulch, I mean, and 
the belt leathers, even their cheaper ones, like everyone I know, like one of the guys we're riding with today has them, and he said that they, you know, he hasn't crashed in them, so it's not been an issue. And I've seen guys crash in the belts, and they'll only take a few hits, but, you know, for your first few times, they're fine. And they're going to protect you if they fit right, so that's on you. They're just going to wear out quicker if you crash a lot. But if you're getting to the point where you crash a lot, like you're not worried about buying good leathers anymore because you're really pushing it. So look into your local track days, look into the cost. You know, a lot of them are pricey. I think today it was 150. Um, California, that seems pretty standard, unless we go to like California Speedway, Fontana. But, so yeah, it's pricey, but I promise like, you will not sleep the night before. You will be super nervous. You will be so excited and it will be totally worth every penny. And you will do, we did like eight sessions, eight 20 minute sessions. Like we almost did 150 laps. Like I was exhausted and I could have stayed there all day until I fell off my bike from exhaustion. Like it's so much fun. It's the best $150 you will spend if you're into motorcycling. So, but that's what I will warn you. Like if you look into it and you want to go, like be prepared to be hooked. Prepared to not really ride your bike on the street anymore. Like I hear a lot of guys say it. I have other reasons I'm not really riding my bike on the street, but it really is a good outlet. And you know, and a lot of it too. Like you buy really nice sticky track tires. You're like, I don't want to take those on the street anymore. <laughs> I bought like decent street tires, and I'm even kind of thinking I don't want to take them on the street that much. But so give it a try. So one, uh, how did you sleep last night? I got very little sleep. Uh, I was laying in bed about 10 and uh, I was too excited and nervous. Uh, so I actually got out of bed and I went out and started washing my bike, giving, giving it a one one more like overlook, making sure everything was good. And then I went to bed like at 12.30. Um, giving up a four. I woke up, I, I got up like at 3.45, got everything ready and headed uh, over to because Juan's like with little well you said you had a little traffic they were working on the freeway or something yeah it's like a 45 minute drive uh yeah it, it was GPS at 40 okay um but yeah the they had closed one of the freeways here it was, yeah. it was down to one lane I grew up in the midwest 45 minute drive used to be like unheard of <laughs> I was like going to Indianapolis well it was a trip and now it's like everywhere and it's in you know in the middle of the night if that were during rush hour it would have been like a two hour drive yeah that's actually why I asked because I'm like well I commute that every day but it's kind of irrelevant at night with less traffic yeah so um so that's good like and the reason I asked that question because I kind of knew the answer because two weeks ago like I couldn't sleep I went to bed early kind of I just laid there awake like so full of adrenaline for the next day um then I got up and like went and watched tv for a little bit and went back to bed um so though like you need to I mean you're excited I slept better tonight because I'd been two weeks ago but it's good so what um, what are you expecting either to happen or to get out of the day or or like what are your goals maybe well let's start with that like what are you expecting and what do you want to get out of it which I guess what are your goals is kind of the same question so maybe we'll get all those in one um, well hopefully uh, Ducati will pick me up after they see my uh, <laughs> lap times Okay. <laughs> now, uh, that's, a, that's a good goal. Like, shoot for the stars. 
I'm definitely gonna take it easy for more than a couple of laps. I mean, I got fresh tires, first time out on the track. Um, I'm gonna try to learn, learn the bike, um, see what, it, you know, see what it can do, and then try to get more comfortable with it. Um, I, I won't plan on pushing it on any of the first few sessions. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I plan on, you know, progressing. See if there's a nap or something to record our lap times, um, and then that way we could track progress, if any. Yeah, <laughs> the guys we ride with, they always put some on their videos, so I don't know what they use. Whether it's it might be a GPS hookup on the GoPro. Oh, okay. Because I know it has a GPS. Well, mine does anyway. The one I just got last night, I know nothing about. Yeah. It said it has GPS, and it's like cool. Um, good. Uh, I think a good goal to have is you try not to crash. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely. Up there. If all three bikes go back and they look like they do right now with worn out tires or at least scrubbed in tires, we've had a good day. <laughs> all right, all right. What a great interview. We've got parts two, three, four, and five, and six and seven coming up on subsequent episodes. We're going to hear a little bit of Juan's story uh, every day until he's a multimillionaire picked up by Ducati. Now, let's get back to our regularly programmed show schedule pro. Yeah, mm, okay, shut up. Alrighty, we are here. We are going to do our Instagram pick of the week. And uh, I'll go first because I can see that uh, old Chris there. Old Chris. <laughs> what the hell? I can't hear myself anymore. I don't know what I Oh, there I did. I scooted this uh, stupid... That means I need to get some new headphones. All right. So this week's uh, Instagram pick of the week from me is going to go to J-Rod Racing. Uh, and that is J-Rod underscore racing. J-Rod, I don't even know what her name is, but dude, she's one bad mama. She uh, she rips it around on motorbikes. I mean, not motorbikes. Of course she rips it around on motorbikes. She does dirt bikes, vintage uh, road racing. Uh, she road races... Um, God, like new new stuff. Here she is. Look at this. What the hell is that? Is that a Yamaha that she's on? Or it Suzuki? Like it. Yeah, it says Graves Yamaha. Okay, yeah. She's ripping it around on a Graves Yamaha. Dude, this chick throws uh, tea in the harbor. I think she's from Boston. Check her out, dude. She's like, we will not take your taxes. And she throws the tea in the harbor. Do they put a rope on it so you can pull it back up? Yeah, I think so. Like yeah, it. yeah. <laughs> it's a whole touristy. It's all wax paper. But dude, you got to check her out. She does all of her own maintenance on stuff. Nice. Yeah. That's what I said. It's impressive. That's a sweet little paint job. Yes. Yeah, she she did that by hand. What's the vintage? Is it a 360? I uh, you know what? It kind of looked like one to me like a CL or something. Yeah, it looks like it. Yeah. So she I mean, she rips it all over on stuff. Look at she's on that Yamaha again. Nice. And uh so yeah, if it that whether like it Willow, whether it's dirt, whether it's uh ripping it around in the mountains on Pikes Peak. <laughs> I don't know where she really is in this picture. But yeah, I think I think she's stationed out of San Diego, but she goes all over crazy. So I love looking at all the stuff that she puts on there. And, you know, it's a positive thing for my daughter to see. I want my daughter to grow up to be like, hey, dad, let me take the Elsinore out uh, uh, right? to the beach and cruise it around. I'll be like, all right, kid. Well, as a side note, Emma and Liza can't like, there's no special treatment because you picked a women who ride for your Instagram pick of the week for a motor contest. Right. Like I see you trying to suck up. I already tried to with the old Japanese bike. So 
<laughs> yeah. I beat you to it. You didn't pick the maggot or anything like that. Right. Um, let me find a picture. Yeah, while you look up yours, I'm going to look up a picture of her, like, skying off a jump, <laughs> dude. She There was this one picture of her, like, blasting through the air. It was so rad. All right, so I have mine. I think I mentioned it before, but I don't think I did an Instagram pick of the week with them. So, uh, oh, my phone's not going to load them. So this Instagram, um, if you're a hipster in a cafe racers, you're going to hate this one. This is, uh, it's funny because I never realized how much I like ugly eighties bikes and they're making me love them. So this Instagram is cafe killers. I believe they're out of the UK. Um, judging by the CBX, it's one of their main bikes, but it's a lot of old, like sick, fairing 80s early 90s race bike type inspiration stuff oh dude that when you see it you're like oh that's kind of ugly they uh one of the guys that runs it or maybe the main guy has a cbx is that cafe killers all one word yeah uh but the cbx is a a cbx that i don't really call a cbx it's an inline four cylinder it's a original 85 cbx custom it says in london yeah um they're four cylinders they might have been a 400 uh yeah, they made a 400 for a brief period of time. Uh re- like it was the 2000s, like a 2000 to 2000. No, this is a 85. Oh, okay. It's even got like crazy 80s like three-spoke wheels on it. Yeah. <laughs> um so their whole thing is like fairing 80 or uh, yeah, 80s and 90s race bikes. There's a little bit newer but not really. So like the big square tails like here's a I believe it's an 87 Jigsaw like the slab side. Um so just like that era sport bikes that so many of them are trashed. Um, but that's what, and a lot of them are now are like inverted forks, better brakes, but on these like 80 sport bikes. So my current idea for my CB 400 that I'm never going to finish is, uh, like better brakes and better suspension <laughs> on a 77 CB 400. Rad. And it's partially because of that. But so it's super cool if you're into that era bike or if you're not into that era bike, Check them out anyway, because then you will be into that era bike. Right. No, that, uh, the, some of those look awesome. Like, yeah. I love when people take 80s bikes that are, like, not so great and just go spazzy with them. Like, it's pretty rad. Um, so, hey, that is pretty much going to wrap up this week's show. And uh, thanks for the Instagram shout-outs. We'll, we'll put those in the show notes. Um, anything coming up that you want to plug? I know we have Twisted Throttles coming up November 3rd and 4th. Tracker Cross is coming up uh, October 21st mm-hmm. and 22nd, or is it 20th and 21st? I think it's 21st and 22nd. I have to double-check. Yep. I know it's the 21st. I don't know about the other dates. Yeah. And then also... Um, Hell on Wheels Hill Climb. The Hell on Wheels Hill Climb is going to be, I think, 28th weekend after that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, so far, like, this part of the season is going to look pretty awesome. When this comes out, by the time you're hearing this, um, I believe the world's largest mini bike race is going to be happening at the compound down there with the boys from uh, Riders on the Norm. So uh, I'm I'm excited, pretty excited to see exactly what's going on with all that great stuff, and to see how that turns out because they've been they've been pumping it for like nine months now, and uh, it better be good. <laughs> it, it seems like a good time. It definitely does. Um, yeah, October twentieth and twenty first for a tracker cross. So it must be Friday night. And yeah, then camp and Saturday. Yep, yep. Bring your bring your costume, and bring a beer. 
Yeah, if you guys are local to SoCal, I don't plug these events that often, but the Moto Beach Classic is tomorrow when this thing comes out. Oh, man. So uh, it'll be Huntington Beach, uh, Bolsa Chica Beach in Huntington um, at Sea Legs. Sure. I don't know. Yeah. I have a map or something. That so, is, uh, that's west of Ohio, but north of Baja, Mexico, uh, Baja, California, Mexico, if I'm correct on that. Yeah. Uh, and is that south of LA, north of San Diego? Sounds about right. Huntington Beach? Yeah. Yeah. So. I don't go there much. I'm not, I'm, I'm kind of blacklisted from Huntington, so. <laughs> yeah, um, don't so talk hopefully about it'll be that. a good time. There's going to be flat track, drag racing, concert, surf competition, um and the final round of the Roland Sands Super Hooligan National Flat Track Series. I think I got that right finally. Yeah, I think so. So, who's going to win this, man? Uh my money and who I want to win are two different people. I'm really hoping um so the last weekend Joe Cop's bike broke. So, first and second are within 1 point. Yeah. Um his he was on like a Triumph that looked like he pulled it out of someone's garage. I mean, it had like a hipster seat on it, it had a tail light and everything yeah. and I was like, "Wow, he's actually riding like a a real bike." This he time. first said he was going to drop one of the lattice motors, like race motors in it though. So, I don't know if that happened or not, but the sh- something the shifter shaft or the transmission busted um first lap. So, he was out of the main. It really uh Spencer only ended up fourth, but Spencer, so Spencer is 1 point behind. Uh, Debrino's 10 or 20, 10 or 15 points behind something like that. Uh, Jordan Graham's a little bit behind that. Jordan Baber won it, but he's still in fifth. And I believe I'm holding sixth. Yeah. Um, on the podium was, uh, Justin Bieber. Didn't Andy Debrino make the podium too? Uh, Debrino was third and Graham was second. Second. Yeah. Okay. So I believe I'm the first place guy that's never had a pro license. If I'm not mistaken, Jordan Graham was some kind of pro like, off-road not like super cross jumps pro but like woods riding yeah i was gonna say so gncc and jordan graham kind of sound like yeah. that uh he doesn't like to tell people because of all the negative proness but uh that's just too bad yeah the truth comes out every time does he listen to this by the way probably not <laughs> i think jordan. Uh, i i i think my my harley i don't know what to call him the guy that runs like the hooligans has been listening to some. And, uh, I said something like this week about interviewing someone and he's like, oh, wait, another one. So, uh, maybe they'll be checking it out too. Good. So anything that we want to say to them, uh, um, that you want to say to them? Hi, I, that was, hi, my name is the producer yeah, guy. Send Carver a bunch of XR seven fifties before, before he buys one of those stupid maroon bikes. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're quick, but, uh, yeah, with the I right mean, development, the XR, the XGs will catch up. Oh, well, you, I'm not going to say on a recording way on that one. <laughs> okay. I said XR. Give Carver XRs, not XGs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. Hey, man, he's he's done some pretty stunning things. Both times he podiumed on an XR, right? Yeah. Yeah. And X Games was an XR. Okay. He was racing a Rotax, too, wasn't he? Uh, Willow was a oh, Rotax because okay. it's a single, so you can't race the twins with it. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Um. Yeah, but I, uh, you know, the Indians... Unfortunately for me, because I'm a Harley fan, but it's also racing. I'm a racing fan, so I like to see progression. You know, the Indians are obviously good right out of the box. Like, look at Johnny Lewis two weeks in a row. I know. He went from a guy you hear of that was mid-pack, making the main-ish, to uh, podiuming and almost getting a second. Yeah. Which Paris, he wasn't quite the fastest guy on the track at Paris, but it was a he got a good start and it was a hard track to pass. 
Uh, when Carver finally did make it around, man, he ate up that Jared Meese lead pretty quickly, but he ran out of laps. Yeah. So. Yeah, dude, that was so, so tight. So tight watching that him just suck up like, dude, five more laps and he would have been, had he not got stuck behind, was it Stevie Bonzi he was behind? And uh, Johnny Lewis, maybe? Johnny Lewis uh, was second and that's who kind of held everyone up. Um, Carver made it around Halbert and, and Halbert ran wide and went back a few spots. And in that little thing, God, that uh, was so Bauman bitchy. got around Carver. And then, so second was Lewis. Bauman was third and uh, Carver was fourth. And then Bauman basically like he knew he had to make a move on Lewis if he wanted to do any better. And uh, when he did, he punted him pretty good, but he squared him up. I saw a photo sequence, you know, he squared up his wheels, they hit shoulders and stuff. And he kind of ran, and in the photo, you can see where Lewis is on the very bottom of the groove, man. He was blocking that line. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was tough. Carver was stuck behind those two yeah. while Meese just built that lead. Yep. And then it was just crazy. Like afterward, the announcers were going nuts because you could see him just like pulling it. Every and, lap. Uh, I think it was Ben uh, in the pits afterwards or somebody, somebody came up and said, Carver... Uh, Meese was just hitting his said he was hitting his marks because he yeah. knew Carver was coming behind and he was going to lap out like wouldn't yeah. have enough laps to catch him so he just kind of stayed there but dude he was reeling him in Carver was pulling some fucking wizard wizardry that and night and he got a five hundred dollar check for the fastest lap in the main yeah dude so that was, was uh, cool I mean seeing that in person too the speed like the absolute speed that uh, you guys were all doing um, well, like we when, were so the pros were like twenty point. 20.1 i think and uh we were just over 22 seconds yeah for my got, time and i was out of horsepower like yeah i wasn't even pointed straight and i was already wide open trying yeah. to just give the sporty all she had yeah yeah no i mean obviously unless you had a stopwatch you could tell but just visually you guys all were just ripping and it was hard like it's hard to it's hard to imagine like what, like, I don't know, like a hundred miles. How fast is that? How fast is Paris? Do you think, I mean, were you guys hitting close to 90 on there? You think, I think Paris, we were over 90. Yeah. Cause judging by other tracks that we've been on, where we've been over 90. Yeah. That one's about the same size and it's fast. It's still a quick track. Um, dude. And seeing how skinny the groove is on there, I was like, Oh no. my God. And when you see that dirt, it ain't like soft pasture dirt that you're falling. Like Santa Rosa, the final last year, you could fall in that stuff, and it was just like sand. You know what I mean? It was like falling yeah. in a sand dune, and it was you could tell because when the riders were going through it, it was like a damn sandstorm. You couldn't see anything. But on this one, dude, that shit didn't look like any softer than the parking lot outside. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you go, it just seemed like you fall on that, you might as well be falling at like Willow <laughs> Springs, right? Like that was a hard looking track. Yeah. It was definitely a hard pack clay track, but, and when there's rubber, fun. when there's, when the tires are squealing around yeah. the corners, like dude, that's just, you're squealing on dirt. How do you, you know, that's hard pack. And but. I could slide it in. My tire was humming going in pretty good. Yeah. But I didn't have enough horsepower to get out of the corner fast enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's it must, it's an interesting dynamic. Uh, being on dirt with a dirt oriented tire, but be, having it be so damn hard, you know, like, but, uh, but anyway, yeah, that's our show. Um, yeah, come down. Hey, tomorrow, if you're around and you want to check out Bolsa Chica, are you going to be there? Are you going to be racing? Are you going to call? I mean, are you going to, you haven't seen your kid in about three months and know, she's it. only two months old. <laughs> Holy crap. I think I'm going to have to go. I, uh, I talked to my wife about it today. Uh huh. She's like, are you going to go racing? And I was like, uh, Hey, if you do, you got like the rest of the year. I mean, it's the final, right? I mean, well, 
The following weekend, I'm in Arizona with her, but no kid. Okay. The following weekend is the hill climb, so I'm going to skip that. Yeah. I, and I've, I've missed the hill climb like three or four years in a row now, yeah. so I shouldn't miss it, but I am because Barona's the weekend after. Yeah. So it's like... Yeah. Barona's going to be the one, dude. Yeah. I'm going to skip... I'm probably going to skip the and, and do Barona, too, because, yeah, it's rough, man. Like, finding time on the weekends uh, to hang with the family when you're, like... Is Nothing. there like an open run what you run class? You can take the 250 out at Barona. Yeah. I'm just going to take it and <laughs> see, dude, I raced the run what you run class before. And I think I was the only 250. Uh, the, sl- the next smaller one was a 750. And then in practice, it was rad. Cause I was up against a bunch of 450, like pro dirt bikes. Cause they forgot <laughs> to put me into a practice class. And they're like, Oh yeah, just go out with this group. And I was like four fifties and then just like roost right in my face. And I was like, well, this is going to be awesome. I want to st- street bike. <laughs> my XG needs a rear wheel and a battery. Yeah. Otherwise that'd be pretty funny. Yeah. No, man, we'll, we're going to do it. We're going to, we're going to have some surprises up our sleeves for, uh, for twisted throttles. So yeah, you can skip all that other stuff. That's what's going to be important. I'm excited for it. I think, uh, Brian hasn't done a race since Del Mar this year. Um, so hopefully it's a fun event. Hopefully it's not too hot out there and the track takes some moisture and takes some rubber. Um, I enjoy the half miles and I enjoy clay tracks. So I'm pretty excited for the track. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Right, right on. All right, everybody. Catch you next week. Thank you, thank you to AMS Customs for supplying today's Word of the Week. And do number three! Do not forget to submit something for Spooky Spokes. The cutoff for that is October 26th. All right, that's our Halloween episode. We need your scaries and your stories and your scary stories. Uh, also, hey, Twisted Throttles, check it out, November 3rd and 4th. And uh, just hit them up on Instagram, on Facebook, wherever you want to find out about the info. It'll all be there. Hey, big shout out. Uh, Chris Wiggins racing Bolsa Chica this week. Well, tomorrow. And uh, Cafe Racer Podcast looks like they're going to be out there. So uh, maybe I'll go out there too. Maybe I'll take some gear and uh, sneak up on Crash and Jess and check them out while they're uh, exploring the beaches of Bolsa Chica. Hey, please do us a favor. Please uh, take one or two seconds to leave us a review in iTunes. If it takes more than that, uh, let me know. I'll talk to the uh, owner of iTunes and uh, get with them. everybody you can check us out in itunes stitcher soundcloud google play store please take a quick brief moment second whatever you have to leave us a a quick review leave us an honest review at least so we know uh where what we can do to make the show better for you um and also you can check us out at www.creative-writing.com on the interwebs or check us out on your favorite smartphone uh at instagram at creative writing podcast uh on the facebook Books at Creative Writing Podcast uh, on Tumblr at Creative Dash Writing, and uh, where else can you find us? I guess you could find us on Twitter at Creative underscore Writer, 
and uh, check us out somewhere else. Check us out in the wild. Hope everybody has a good time riding this weekend. And to everyone up in NorCal, listen, Sonoma uh, County right now, like all of all of Northern California in the Bay Area, uh, our hearts go out to everyone there. Shalina Moreda is how we've been uh, checking in on what's been happening in the motorcycle news up there. She has been posting a lot about what's been going on with the fires and everything. And, uh, of course, just with the news in general, uh, so far 23 people dead and thousands of acres scorched and lots of uh, homes, businesses, wineries, you name it, uh, irreplaceable. And our hearts go out to uh, our family up in NorCal right now, the Moto family. Peace, y'all.